Welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we read about the most extreme sorting hat so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Divergent by Veronica Roth. Joining us to discuss this dystopian BuzzFeed quiz is YA author and gift connoisseur Annie Cardi. Hey! Hello! Thank you for joining us, Annie. We're very excited to have you. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Annie didn't mention in her introduction that she's also a podcaster. Yes. You're you're allowed to plug that. I'll do it oh, for yeah. you. Thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> we also we don't we haven't had any new episodes in a little while because we have a tiny human. Um, but yeah, we have several back episodes of uh, crossover appeal that people can take a listen to. Yeah, you know, what? dig into a back catalog of a podcast if you haven't yeah. already. Right. Um, Okay. Anyway, so Divergent, this has been an oft-requested book. Um, When we had our 100th episode, we ran a poll for what book we would read, and uh, Ready Player One won, Mm -hmm. which means that we lost. (laughs) (laughs) But this was a very close second, and we were like, oh, we'll do that one too. And then um, here we are, 32 episodes later, getting around to it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I have been wanting to talk about, so I read this book around the time it came out. Like it was, it's so funny to think about this. Um, Annie called this the James Cameron's avatar of YA fiction, which is perfect (laughs) because it's like for a second in time, this was so huge. I had this, you know, big budget movie with Shailene Woodley and Kate Winslet and others. (laughs) Um, you know, and it, and it had this big wait for the second book and for the second, for the third book to come out and then just gone, just vanish. You know, you never see, um, kids like, and you never see kids going around with like their faction symbols. And if there's no, like, I mean, I'm sure there's still fandom for it, but like, you never see it on Tumblr, like. I, you know, there, there really aren't many BuzzFeed quizzes where like Harry Potter, it's like, figure out what your, you know, pet's house would be and what their wand would be. Yeah. Um, and I'll take that quiz any day. But like, yeah, I, it's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I don't care. You never see like, is. oh, take a trip down a breakfast buffet and we'll tell you what your diversion faction yeah. would be, um, which it would be Donna's because none of the others are allowed to eat food, I think. But. Yeah. <laughs> Dollars just—they shove hamburgers at each other. <laughs> yeah, it. This was one that came out right after I um, left my job as a bookseller in 2010, and this one I checked came out in 2011. And I, I felt like maybe I got an arc of it or something, but the timing doesn't seem to match up. So I don't know if that's true. Um, but I didn't read it regardless. I was dystopian out at that point. I mean, I, I kind of have always been dystopian out. It's just not my favorite power to people who like that kind of story. That's totally fine. It's not my general cup of tea. And just that I saw it everywhere. Like, it was everywhere all of a sudden. Everyone was talking about it. And I feel like normally when everyone's talking about stuff, I at least, like, vaguely look into it. But I knew next to nothing about this before I started reading it. So who Yay. knows? Well, and I th- I think what happened with this truly was just the third book killed the fandom, killed any kind of yeah. goodwill that readers had for the book, for the series. Uh, 
and I I do not want to get deep into this because this would be a different episode of the podcast. Mm-hmm. But a few things I do want to say about Veronica Roth: she's young. I mean, she's still young, but she sold Divergent when she was still in college. Yeah. I mean, good for her, man. Yeah, no, get that money. But yeah. then, after Divergent, she wrote a book called um, Carve the Mark that was mm. called out for being problematic on multiple levels. Oh. Um, I haven't read it, and I haven't even dug deep into it, but one of the things, I think there was also, there was, like, an uncomfortable racial racist element to this new dystopia she oh. created. But then also... There's something in it where one of the main characters, I think it's maybe sort of along the lines of like a rogue from X-Men, except that like her pain, her power causes her like physical pain. And it's something about like finding the strength from pain or whatever. Oh, okay. Um, or maybe it's like, what is it? Kushiel's dart. Maybe it's like that. I don't know. I haven't, again, I haven't read this, but there was this kind of backlash that was like, hold on one second. Dory Day, it's not time for you yet. (laughs) (laughs) Dory like, I have read Carve the Mark and I have thoughts. I know. I'm trying to tell them about it, Dorothy. I'm trying to tell them how problematic it was. But, okay. So then there was this kind of backlash of like, oh, this is this is ableist because like I have chronic pain and it's not a gift and it's not whatever. And then Veronica Roth had to come out and make this public statement that was like, I also have chronic pain, which is not something she'd ever mentioned before. And there was just something so... It's not funny, but also it's kind of funny to imagine this like author coming out and being like, excuse you, I have chronic pain. (laughs) And, like, that's what you need to do to justify your book is publicly announce that you suffer from chronic pain. (laughs) Oh, but... And, like, I I have not read Carve the Mark, and I I can definitely see where people would be like, this is is really shitty, like, to take a, a daily problem that people live with and like make it a superhero-y thing but then maybe you also want to take your problem and be like what if instead of just this just being a shitty thing we made a superhero thing out of it exactly Um, so and then circling back to divergent i spent some time googling this and and a realizing just how sharply no one cares about this anymore but i (laughs) i had remembered an interview or something with veronica roth or people like what's up with these five uh, factions, which we should say what they are, just in case anyone doesn't know. Yeah. And they are um, Dauntless, Candor, Erudite, Amity, and Abnegation. And these are like your five Hogwarts houses based on personality traits that you're dedicated to. And it was like there was this big war and society divided into five groups based on what they thought caused the war and decided to like you know, double down on not being that thing. So if you thought human selfishness caused the war, then you're going to be super selfless and you're going to be abnegation. And so I had somewhere read something where Veronica Ross said she picked those five categories because they are sort of random. You know, they're not like the seven deadly sins or they're sort of weird. And she said that they were things that she was trying to like work on in her own personality. And I was like, that's sort of interesting and and weird, but sort of interesting, and I sort of see where you're coming from. But then I could not find that quote anywhere, and she says other stuff in other interviews about why she picked those things. So what I think is that Veronica Roth, 
I mean, I guess maybe I'm misremembering that interview, but it really stuck with me because I was like, that's kind of cool. I think Veronica Roth is not a candor, and I think she is just, like, making (laughs) shit up about her her world building. Oh, yeah, guys. I totally did this from my own personality defects. Yeah, and she also talked... So, again, she was in college when she wrote this, so, like... I'm so glad that millions of people aren't reading anything I wrote in college. Oh, my God. But uh, she said, in multiple interviews that I did find that are still on the internet, she said things like, well, I was studying psychology, and I was really interested in exposure therapy, where, like, if you're afraid of something, you just, like, keep doing it. And I was like, I definitely see that influence on this. And I think, like, it was, like, that, and I think she was in Chicago and was... um, like thought about like oh what if somebody like jumped off one of these high buildings but like for fun and like what would what kind of person like wants that adrenaline um and I was like oh okay like those are fine um but I feel like she had a lot of different ideas that didn't all like fit together in the same soup it was just like let's throw stuff in a pot no and I guess that's soup and I want to know I desperately want to know if she knew what was going to happen in the third book when she wrote yeah. the first book, because that is so huge to me. But we'll, well get there. Before we Okay, yeah, <laughs> let's get into the plot. Before we get into the plot, do you want to give here like ten minutes in the podcast, let's give a content warning that the uh-huh. um the plot of this book contains mentions of suicide and weird reactions to suit like upsetting reactions to someone dying by suicide uh which we'll get to and then also um a sexual assault like not rape but uncomfy touching yeah Uh, i feel like like that was something that like stood out to me on so that's the second time i read it and i like hadn't remembered Really, either of them, but the sexual assault, I was like, oh, I guess that's in there. That's not really cool. Yeah. But so let's let's get through talking about the first, this book, because like, I... So quickly, so I can tell you. <laughs> you. You vibed up this third book so much. I It really is a game changer, though. Okay, so oh. our main character is Beatrice Pryor, who is about to turn 16, living in dystopian Chicago, which is one thing I did like about these books, by the way, is that it was so recognizably Chicago, and like I'm yeah. from near Chicago, and it was just oh, sort okay. of that thing of like, I know that. I know what she's talking about, which there aren't so many books set in the Midwest in general. So I was like, that's cool. And Chicago is a good, I feel like a good dystopian landscape. Like you've got the L, like you've got the, um, the lake, like it, it is a really fun. And like, again, like all these, you've got the bean to take your, yeah. yeah. Oh, the bean. There should have been more bean. Should have been more bean. Um, Uh. So Beatrice is part of abnegation, which, as we said, after this war, society has split up into these different groups. And abnegation is the selfless group. They wear gray clothes. They are not allowed to look at themselves in mirrors. They are supposed to give up their seats to anybody who they see standing on public yeah. transit. Not they just carry- like not just like pregnant women and people with disabilities. Anybody, any rando. They carry extra food with them so that they can give it to people if they ask for it, which we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, and and they intentionally themselves only eat, like, the bare minimum and very bland food. Yes. Um, so... Which, now that I'm saying that, does everyone in navigation have an eating disorder? 
I know, right? I didn't really think about that, but that's part of it too. And and that we get a lot Although, of talk about Beatrice's like very thin body. I know, right? Although I think if you if you really did have an eating disorder or just like disordered eating of some kind, that isn't it more selfless to like want to eat the food? But I guess that's still disordered eating where you're like, I cannot allow myself to. Anyway, that was the tangent. Um, so as Renata said, Beatrice is 16 and her brother, Caleb, who's a little less than a year older than hers, also 16. And in this society at age 16, you have your choosing ceremony where you get to choose what faction you want to follow. You can stay in your current faction or you can leave to go to another faction and to um, help you decide you have to go through this simulation and your reaction to it will tell what faction you're most suited for. And you don't have to, they're not binding results. If you get abnegation and you really want to go to candor, nothing can, will stop you from that. But it, it lets you know, like, which society you'll fit in best with. So, so they, they head off to school to do their choosing day ceremony and to do their, I'm sorry, their simulation and... Beatrice keeps thinking about how Caleb is like the perfect abnegation kid and he's so selfless and he never thinks about anyone but himself and no, she herself way around. Uh, never thinks about <laughs> himself. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh Beatrice on the other hand uh spends every day watching the Dauntless, which are the the asshole Gryffindor faction. <laughs> Uh, every day, this is my favorite, this is the part where I closed, well, I was listening to the audiobook, but I turned off the audiobook and immediately had to message Renata to be like, what is this book? <laughs> the Dauntless, the asshole Gryffindors, every day they get to school by riding a very fast moving train that they jump off of. <laughs> like, it drives by their school and they just jump off, it doesn't stop. And that's how yeah. they get to school every day to prove how brave they are. And, and it's the train but because it's dystopian chicago it doesn't run on like a regular schedule anymore like it doesn't stop at stations it just i was like who is running this train i i guess it must be some dauntless person who just does a (laughs) shitty job who's like yeah it doesn't stop it just goes it is it it, i can't i feel like that is so emblematic of what this book is I feel like Be- because so. by the way, the train always comes promptly on time. It just doesn't stop. So yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> I feel like so. I have a like seven and a half month old who's like just learning how to like crawl and stuff. And sometimes he'll like he'll get ready to like he's gonna start crawling, but then just launch himself forward and like land on his face. <laughs> and like I mean, it's it's kind of hilarious too. But I'm like, oh, that's dauntless. You're just <laughs> like whatever. <laughs> I'm going to launch myself forward. Like nothing, nothing about this makes any sense. If you think about it too hard, it entirely breaks down. And that is just very emblematic of the world building in this yeah. book. Um, so Beatrice does her simulation and uh, you have, so it, it starts where they present you with a loaf of bread and a sharp, or a loaf of cheese, a lump of cheese and a sharp knife. And then a dog comes out and depending on what you chose, uh, you can either placate the dog or kill the dog. Uh, Beatrice refuses to choose either. And then when the dog comes out, she ends up like making friends with it. But then it tries to attack a child and she 
attacks it instead to protect the child. It's this whole like long series of weird things. And at the end of it, her proctor tells her like, oh, like this is really bad. You're divergent. Never say that word again. Uh, you definitely could go to Dauntless or Abnegation yeah. or Erudite. And that has never happened like never no one in this society has more than one personality oh trait they only are allowed to have one and it's like a big deal and the the proctor tells her like i'm gonna mess up your test results so nobody knows i'm gonna tell everyone you got an abnegation like literally never tell anyone that you're a divergent or they'll kill you even and though it would be so much easier to just not tell her and yes. if you're the proctor, like, just erase the test results and be like, great, you're in abnegation, I don't care. Right, because yeah. the test is so secret anyway, like, Beatrice didn't know what she, it's, so she could go out and be like, oh, yeah, I fought a dog, and people are like, oh, that's weird, I just gave the dog cheese, but, like, they don't, they wouldn't know that that's wrong, because everyone else only does it one time anyway. Yeah. So, Beatrice is, like, stressed out over this, and... The next day is the actual ceremony where they choose, and to her immense surprise, when it's her brother's turn, he chooses to go to Erudite. And her father, Beatrice and Caleb's father, is one of the leaders of Abnegation, and thus one of the leaders of the society, because they have decided that only the most selfless people can be politicians, because anyone else would let the power corrupt them, but not Abnegation. Um, but there are rumblings in the other factions, especially erudite, the smarty pants people, the mean Ravenclaws, <laughs> that um, actually the abnegation are all corrupt and they're bad politicians and all this stuff. So they like super hate erudite. And that's what Caleb chooses to do. So he's like immediately dead to the family. And Beatrice had been considering going to Dauntless, but now she feels bad because now her family will have no one if she leaves. But she ends up joining Dauntless anyway. Ah, uh, yeah. So, yes. bye so family then, forever. Yes. So then a lot of it, it's like Dauntless training montage where we learn just yeah. a lot of bonkers details about life in Dauntless. <laughs> we meet a lot of side characters who, yeah. when this is made into a movie, most of the side characters are cut, and I'm also, I think, gonna cut them, because I, I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of, like, all the 20 Dauntless candidates, because who cares? Uh, yeah, I feel like there were, like, the first time I read it, I remember just being like, wait, which one are you again? Yeah. And this time I was like, eh, you, none of you really matter. None of them yeah. really matter. The most, the most important ones are Christina and Will, who mm -hmm. are, because there's two different types of initiates, two different types of new 16-year-olds in this society. The ones who are transfers from other houses and the ones who <laughs> grew up in Dauntless um so Christina and Will are two other transfers who uh become Beatrice's friends and Beatrice starts going by Triss uh because she is the first one in order to enter initiation they have to jump off a building and there's an illusion that makes them think they're going to hit the ground but actually there's a net and Beatrice is the first one to volunteer to do it. So immediately everyone's like, oh, yeah, like the girl who jumped first. We all know her. There is Al, who is also a transfer and who is very strong, but very weak willed. He's like um, a, a hashtag nice guy. Yes, mm -hmm. he is absolutely a nice guy. And we have Peter, who is evil and he's also a transfer and he hates 
anybody. He is determined to be the best, so he's mad at anyone who's better than him. Uh, and also, like, flat out almost murders a kid because he does yeah. better than him on a test. Mm-hmm. In, like, a really terrible way. Yeah. Like, the book says, like, oh, like, he he's fine, but he went home. And I was I'm like, like I don't think you would be fine. I also don't think you would be fine if someone stabbed you in the eye yeah. with a knife. Yeah, that's, like, I mean, I don't like eye stuff. And that I was like, that's actually awful. Yeah. <laughs> and Peter's just going to hang out because whatever. Yeah. Um, and then in the have been here forever crowd, there's Uriah who he grew up in Dauntless and he thinks he likes Triss, not like likes, but he admires how fearless she is. And he's on, is he on their team for capture the flag? Yeah. I which, so. I, which I think is, is how he really gets to know Triss. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's also the two instructors. There's four who is very handsome and he's like a tough guy, but it's because he very, he has like a very strict moral code for himself. And then there's Eric, who's like a sociopath Mm -hmm. who is in Dauntless because he likes power and pain, Mm -hmm. (laughs) inflicting pain on others. Um, So they do all this training stuff. They do a whole series of, of um, physical training where they have to learn how to like fire a gun and they have to get in fights with each other every day and they're they're in teen fight club yeah they're in teen fight club (laughs) and tris is like middling she's she gets beat up real bad the first time and then she kind of like sort of holds her own the rest of the time and then her last fight is against this girl who said shit about her dad and she beats the shit out of her Mm mm-hmm so and one, one to- thing about Triss, that the, if we know one thing about Triss, is that she is very small, very oh dainty, very delicate, uh, wayfish, skinny. Very undeveloped body. Yeah. She has the body of a child. Uh, I sh- this is like VC and Andrew's level, like, body typing. Yeah. It's not great. No. Um, so they, they have to do the physical thing and they play this game of capture the flag where while everyone is squabbling on her team of what to do, she realizes that if they get higher ground, they can see where the other team's flag is because they kind of glow in the dark. So she climbs to the top of this out of service Ferris wheel. Yeah, it's to- it's the Navy Pier Ferris wheel, which is yeah. again, like kind of cool. It's like, oh, yay, that's fun. And while she's doing that, Four notices her and comes up with her um, to see, to to figure out, like, what she's trying to do and help her out with it. And we learn that Four is afraid of heights, Mm -hmm. but Triss, like, gives no shits. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Triss is an adrenaline junkie, it turns out. Yes. And Triss also um, realizes that she's attracted to Four during Mm -hmm. this endeavor. And she helps the team um, through her, like, finding out where the flag is. They're able to win capture the flag. So that also gets her a lot of respect from her peers. And then they enter the second round of... Initiation. Initiation. Where they have to go into fear landscapes. Yes. So they... First, they, they have to see what their fears are. So they get, like, simulations very similar to the simulation that helped them choose their faction Mm. where they face their various fears one-on-one while like strapped to a chair Mm -hmm. and 
Tris hates it and it's terrible and she's embarrassed because she feels like she did the worst but then she finds out actually she super did the best <laughs> yes and realizes that it's because she's divergent she can through something that's not very well yeah. explained there's no science here yeah like she because she also she's divergent she's able to tell it's a simulation mm-hmm so and, like, and manipulate it somehow. Yeah. It's it's very strange. It's never really explained why other people can't do this, especially because one of her friends is like, oh, yeah, like, you just have to think about how it's just a hallucination, except that, like, even if you think that, it doesn't mean anything, except when Tris thinks it, it does mean... Uh, yeah. It's yeah. very paper-thin. Um, somewhere in this mix, they have visiting day where your parents can come see you. Mm. And, uh, Tris isn't sure if either of her parents will come, but her mom comes and tells her that she's not allowed to go see Caleb because abnegation can't go visit Erudite anymore because they're having, like, a faction war. But Tris needs to go visit Caleb and tell him to investigate the simulation serum, and he'll know what it means. And P.S. I used to see Dauntless. I'm proud of you. Love you. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And on that same visiting day, um, Al's parents show up, but he doesn't go out to meet them, so Tris goes to try and find him and see what's going on. And he explains that, like, he feels like a failure, but also, like, makes it very clear that he likes her. Mm-hmm. And she kind of rebuffs him by being, pretending that she doesn't realize that that's what he's doing and hoping that he'll just drop it. I um, did think, like, that felt like maybe the most real part of the book. Yes. Where I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, been there. And you're just like, thank you, bye. <laughs> Gotta go. See you later, buddy, pal, friend. Yep, definitely not kissing anybody right now. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So after after they do their like simulation thing with facing their fears, Tris ends up at the top of the class. She has the best rank, which A, like, means that Peter fucking hates her even more than previously. And B, Al is the bottom rung of this and um tris's mom had just been like stay in the middle like don't let anybody notice you or maybe it was tori one of them was like don't don't stand out and then it was like oh by the way i'm also the best one in the group yeah Yeah, tris isn't great at like listening to things no well to be fair she didn't realize how good she was doing at the fearland true yeah Four could have could have given her a, a, some help with that, but apparently not. Yeah. <sighs> so now that she's on the top, like her friends are slightly jealous, but also, you know, like want to celebrate with her, and she doesn't really want to celebrate. And there, there's a lot of like self reflection of like I I love the values of abnegation where we prioritize other people, but also it turns out I'm really good at this one and I'm just great at murder, and it's just so hard yes and to be fair i think a lot of this kind of stuff would be more appealing to maybe a legit teen who is sort of oh no i'm 17 i have to figure out what i'm doing with the rest of my life this is stupid i don't know maybe that makes just as much sense to go to knife school whatever (laughs) (laughs) night school and dauntless are totally the same i said knife school (laughs) but (laughs) 
Look, kid, here's your options. You're 17. You can go to knife school or you can go to night court and fuck a horny fairy. (laughs) You have this immense pressure to choose between knife school and horny fairy court. I think we need books that reflect that. All right. I have to stop recording. I need to go start writing my best-selling trilogy. Goodbye. Anyway, let's just. There's more training. Um, some well, some boys so, try to kill uh, slash touch up on Triss. Yeah, um, so they they she gets kidnapped while everyone else is celebrating, and she realizes that it's Peter, one of his lackeys, and Al, and they want to throw her essentially like down the side of a mountain to kill her, but Four comes in and saves her at like the last possible minute. So she spends the night with him platonically sleeping in his bed. Uh, she doesn't want to go back to the dormitory. And when she comes in the next morning, like all beat up, she tells her friends that Al is the one who did it. And they like freeze him out deservedly. Yeah. Right. And he tries to apologize to her. And she says like, no, I don't accept your apology. I'm sorry. You tried to murder me and also felt me up while doing it. Like, no. Uh, so then he kills himself. Yeah. Which is incredibly weirdly handled. Yes. All around. Also, by the way, I feel like it's kills himself in air quotes because Tori or four or someone, someone yeah. has told her that like, oh, people always quote unquote kill themselves during training but it's actually like dauntless covering up things or whatever yeah oh see i got the implication that he did actually kill himself that there are that they do like throw people off the chasm and say that they they committed suicide when they really they hadn't but for him i assume that he had actually killed himself because of his guilt and because he wasn't doing very well hmm Either way, it's bad design to have a big, like, waterfall, a big deadly waterfall in the middle of your knife school. But (laughs) anyway, at his remembrance ceremony or whatever, everyone is just talking about, like, how heroic it is to die this way and how brave he was for facing, like, the ultimate challenge. It's so fucked up. Um, I would imagine very triggering if you are someone who is having suicidal thoughts to read this, even though Trace as our narrator is like, well, this is whack, but it's like a full chapter of just like, oh, and he's so brave and, like, we'll always remember his... Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. It's it's not great. Um, And... Uh, after that, they move on to their third, preparing for their third. Their last thing is a final exam where they will have to face all their fears in a fear landscape, which is just like a simulated mental thing which, where you face your fears. Yeah, it's like the level which, up of what they've been doing before. Like before yeah. they could just see them, but now it's like the fears will stay until it, it monitors their like um, heart rate and until they f- like physically calm down they'll keep having these virtual fears and so it's kind of a race to see who takes the least amount of time to vanquish all of their fears whereas before yeah, it was more exploratory I guess but it is kind yeah. of the same thing I've, I felt like it was like okay first round fighting second round mental preparation and then I was like oh third round is still mental preparation like yeah okay. it's weird and they have they either they can 
break the fear one of two ways. Either they come up with a way to defeat it mentally or if they go deeper into the fear and are able to calm themselves down, that also vanquishes it. Um, which is a weird thing to introduce because she doesn't, I don't know if that comes up in the other books, but mostly she goes by the coming up with a way to vanquish it way. But in preparation for this, Four takes her through his fear landscape. Mm. And then this is the second dumbest thing in the book. The second time that I was like, I can't, I need to stop for a (laughs) while and read something else. As they go through his fear landscape, they discuss, she discovers that the reason they call him four is because he only has four fears. Mm-hmm. Which is a real thing that's mm-hmm. in this book. Mm-hmm. He nice. has four fears. Mm-hmm. That's a great and nickname. And that's hot. Yeah. <laughs> and um, one of his fears she figures out is him being beaten by his father. And his father was a... Um, his father was Marcus. Yes, we've and met ab- before in the book. Yeah. We maybe didn't mention, but we, the reader, have met Marcus before. Yes, he's an abnegation politician that her father is friends with and works with. And one of the... So, in the background of this, this faction war, Erudite has been running, like, trash stories. Mm. I guess Erudite controls the media, and they've been running all these stories about how abnegation is secretly very cruel. And one of their examples is that Marcus had beaten his own child so much that he switched houses or switched factions to go to Dauntless. <laughs> and Tris has been outraged by these stories and she's like, they're not true, they're not true. Everyone in abnegation is good and pure. And now she's like, oh, actually, I guess this one was true. So what else is true? Ah. Yeah, because they were like, and she, so she didn't know him or she didn't know for when he was in abnegation, even though they're like pretty close in age. Yeah, they're only two years apart. Yeah. Which Uh, she brings up repeatedly as like, oh, but like, you're so much older than me. And you're like, you're way older than I am. And it's like... I mean, this, this, I will, you know, that's kind of a, oh, I'm a... I'm a sophomore dating a senior guy where it's like, this gives me a little bit of street cred. It is kind of a different, though. Like, he's already, he's already a leader in their society. So... I guess I'm defending this book a little bit. Um, it is whack, but it, it's things like that where I'm like, no, if, if I'm a teen reading that, like, ooh, he is a little bit older, but it's not so much really like, ew, gross, get away from Yeah, her. right. Uh, it's, yeah, but it's, I mean, the way she invokes it, I don't know, maybe I just had a very different teenhood I, than a lot of people. Like, it, she's like, oh, but, like, we can't because you're older. I feel and, like, like it's I just similar to, like, her being like, I'm such a childlike tiny person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some of like that I, could also be her abnegation yeah, roots. Maybe. Like, the kids always make fun of her for being abnegation because they're supposed to be like, very prudish also. Like they yeah. call her stiff as a nickname. Yeah, she. it just like it feels the way she says it feels like not like a sophomore dating a senior, but like a sophomore dating a kid in college. But again, it almost kind of is that because she's, she's he is her teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so they go through the, the fear landscape together and they kiss and she's real stoked, except the next day he pretends he doesn't, it never happened. And then he yells at her in training and she gets so mad that she storms off and she goes, she takes the train to Erudite headquarters because she wants to talk to her brother. And once she does, she tells him like, oh yeah, mom visited me and told me that she wants you to to research what goes into the serum 
and also that she wanted to visit you, but she couldn't because Erudite won't let anyone from Abnegation come inside the compound anymore. And he's like, because he had been buying into all of the Erudite propaganda up to this point, but he hadn't known that. And she, as she's trying to leave, the leader of Erudite brings her to her office. What's her name? Joanna? Uh... Uh, Janine. Yes. Janine. Janine. And kind of, like, lectures her and gives her a, like, oh, like, your results were erased from the computer and your results in this other test were erased from the computer. Sounds like something that would happen to a divergent person, don't you agree? Like, tries to, gives her all, like, these leading, like, I think maybe you're divergent and I should murder you and... Uh, she tries to play up, like, how tough she is and how she's, like, super dauntless and is like, ah, uh, I just like murdering people. That's what it is. <laughs> That's why I left abnegation. I don't know what you're talking about. I love jumping off trains. And she lets her go. And then she does, in, a, in an interesting twist that I did actually like, she does the opposite when she gets back to dauntless. When Eric confronts her for running off, she, like, acts like oh like I'm just a stupid young girl from abnegation I didn't know any better I was just hurt because a boy I liked rejected me I'm sorry I know that's dumb I'm I'm just a child and he's like yeah you're right you are okay bye <laughs> it, which was just I I enjoyed that bit Tris has her moments for sure although that was yeah. Thor's idea yeah technically. um so they have their final their final thing or she talks to four and he explains like basically like hey i really like you but nobody can know because they'll think that i like jacked your test results so we have to pretend that we're not together and she's like okay that actually does make sense now that you actually say the words to me yeah. instead of just insulting me in front of all of my friends yeah um so they have their final test where they have to go through their fear landscape in front of the dauntless leaders and we discover uh tris's fears which are which are crows which are actually that she is a control freak and drowning in a box which is also i think that she's actually a control freak and drowning in a river and being in a her old house surrounded by zombies who are trying to get to her and having sex with four because she's afraid of intimacy. Mm-hmm. And this is and we learn that the leaders, they're literally watching the, you know, brain scans uh-huh. or whatever. They can see her horny fears. <laughs> and her last fear is somebody forcing her to murder her whole family. Um, so she only has six fears. Mm-hmm. So she's she's really tough, but not as tough as four. Yeah, yes. she's two less tough than four. <laughs> uh, and she ends up after her score is so good, and she goes through it so quickly that she's the first. She has the the first place in all of the um, rankings of all of both the Dauntless Born initiates and the Transfer initiates, which means that she gets first pick of jobs. Um, and also as all everybody goes through their, their final test afterwards, they're injected with what Eric tells them is a tracking serum that will help, um, if they ever like go on missions far away from the Dauntless compound and get lost or injured, it'll help. Or they, or they jump off a train and 
fall and yeah yeah it'll it'll help the the dauntless leaders find them and she's like okay this seems normal no, I mean, to be fair, she's like, oh, no, this seems bad, but there's no way for me to get out of this without it being hella suspicious. So, Oh, right. It's everybody else, including Four, who's like, this seems normal. Yeah. Um, so after the big ceremony, um, she wakes up in the middle of the night and realizes that everybody else is also waking up, but they're all putting on their shoes and filing zombie-like out to the corridor. Mm-hmm. So she decides to just go with them to figure out, like, what's going on. And all of the Dauntless leaders are talking openly because clearly none of the zombie people are reacting. And essentially, like, they do an exposition dump about, like, oh, yes, we've given them all this serum that so that we can use them. And she and Four had realized at one point that there was some sort of plan that Ariadite was putting together to wage war on abnegation, but they didn't know what it was because erudite aren't trained to fight. Um, So we get an exposition dump that actually they've been working with the dauntless leaders and have gotten them over to their side. And they're going to use this quote unquote tracking serum um, as a way to control all of the dauntless into mindless soldier zombies to kill everyone in abnegation. Yep. Except it doesn't work on the Divergent. So Triss is fine, and but she has to, like, pretend. And the entire time she's thought that maybe four could be Divergent, too, mm. because of some of the comments that he's made. But he never confirmed it. And then she sees him in the crowd, and he is able to, like, signal to her by holding her hand in the crowd where no one can see that he also is divergent and is not taken in by the mm-hmm. serum um so they go to abnegation and everyone just starts indiscriminately murdering people and they kind of like follow along with it up to a point until they actually are expected to murder people and then they ran off and well, then until this is a- until four is about to be murdered yes oh yeah that's right. Eric is like, what if I just murdered him? Do you think anyone would notice? And the person that he's with is like, probably not. Uh, so then she shoots Eric in the foot. Mm-hmm. And, okay. I just want to real quick run through. They they fix it, but both of Triss's parents die in heroic self-sacrificial ways. And... Uh, Triss has to kill Will, who was she was sort of friendly yeah. with, and it's Triss's and he, boyfriend. Because like or, while I mean, it's Christina's boyfriend, while he's like being zombified, yes, and, and like a self defense killing. But yeah, they meet up too with Caleb, who's now factionless because oh, he yeah. dropped out of Ariadite in order once he started researching the serum and realized what was happening. So she and Marcus and four, they, the, uh, what's her name? Janine. Janine, the leader of Ariadite, captures Triss and four and explains to them that she knew that Triss was divergent, didn't realize four was, but knew that the serum didn't work on divergent people. But she's been coming up with other versions of the serum that might. So she gives one to four and it does work on him Mm. and sends him to the Dauntless control room and Triss realizes that that's how to stop the zombies, is to go there and that the program must be running from there. Uh, so she and Caleb and uh, Four's dad, Marcus, and maybe someone else. Oh, oh it's Peter. Peter. Yeah, for some reason. 
yeah, he they they essentially were like, oh, you're a little sociopath. You don't need the serum to murder people indiscriminately. We're going to not we're going to turn it off for you. But he's also a coward and is like, please don't kill me. I'll I'll work with you if you don't kill me, please. Um, so they they are like, fine. But they're able to get to the Dauntless compound and turn off the simulation and snap four out of his zombie simulation coma and realize that uh, they need to get to Amity, which is the only faction that they think will be sympathetic to their side of the story. Because it's in the name. (laughs) (laughs) So they, the four of them, four and Triss and Caleb, or five of them, Peter and Marcus, hop a train towards Amity, uh, and that's how it ends. Yes. Okay, so I gotta tell you, and I think... (laughs) I think that Veronica Roth did not know that this is how it was going to play out because I think if she knew this, she should have been seeding this all along and she should have let us know because the reason their whole society makes no sense is because they are in an experiment. These people are all in an experiment that is being monitored by scientists who live in O'Hare Airport and that's why they can't leave Chicago because that's sort of like the boundary of their experiment and this war that happened that you know, the factions were founded because, again, to, like, okay, if you think selfishness caused the war, you're going to be real selfless. That was called the Purity War, and so they tried to genetically modify themselves to be better people, but it fucked sure. up, and it made them all, like, broken people. And it's like, that's, I don't think that's how genetics work. No, it is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> she definitely did the research. That's definitely science. Like, she was in college. She clearly took a psychology class. Leave her alone. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there... But then... Uh, uh, but then having only one personality trait does lead to fucked up things, as we've learned. And so these people are basically, like, quarantined. Like, they're, like, the second or third generations of this experiment. So they're being monitored. And Triss and the Divergent, who are born, they're what the scientists refer to as uh, genetically healed because they're, like, repairing this damage that was done to them to allow them to have multiple personality traits. So the scientists are watching them. I sort of... Oh, right. And so in the third book, the scientists are like, okay, this is actually interesting, but uh, I think it's time to just sort of, like, abandon this experiment and, like, kill all these people. Uh, It's clearly... We've got other people living in other cities in America who are doing better or, like, whatever. So this whole Divergent thing was interesting, but by... And so Triss dies in a self-sacrificial, like, invasion of the scientist compound at O'Hare Airport and, like, does save everybody. But so here's the thing, is I think that this whole science experiment... I mean, the science doesn't add up, but this concept is interesting. And it does explain why their society makes no sense, because it didn't really need to, or whatever. Or that's the, the experiment. person who came up with this experiment wasn't at the top of the class. They were just kind of somewhere yeah, in the right. middle and needed to come up with something for their PhD project. I get it. Yes. So I think that if in this first book, if we'd gotten a chapter, a little glimmer from the POV of the scientist that was like, dial back oh, you know, our experiment is going according to plan. You know, don't let Tris know, don't let these people know. But if we, the reader, knew that, just a little tiny bit about it from the beginning, that would make this so much better, right? 
So, so wait, so is the rest of, like, is the rest of the country just, like, fine, and they just, like, walled off Chicago? I, I don't think I they're think fine. It, I, yeah. I don't remember. They are having their own problems. Yeah, I think, like Renata said, there were, like, other cities where they were, like, doing this kind of thing, but otherwise there had been, like, some big, like, like again, the, like, purity There was the war, war. yeah. And so other cities, I think, are dealing with it better, but no, it's not, like, everywhere else is just, like, Normalsville. But they aren't all doing this. Interesting. It doesn't go too deep into what other cities are doing. Also, it's been years since I read it. I did reread the wiki page to remind myself to be able to give this reveal. But (laughs) I'm sure there is more details out there. But this, this is the gist of it. And even with just the gist, like, right? Like, in this book, we should have known that. Yeah. Even then, I'm just like, that is not real science. Like, that... That doesn't make sense. Also, who, like, what kind of grant funding would you get for this lame-ass project? I mm-hmm. I don't feel like this stands up to me, which is, like, my deep, like, rage against Divergent, even though I'm like, oh, there are a lot of things that I actually do think are fine. But I'm just like, no, that's not how science works. That's not how society works. It's totally not. It's totally not. But I feel like that version is better than the version of we just sort of independently made this society and it makes sense to all of us that people only have one personality trait. Yeah, true. Yeah, the world building is just so sloppy. Yes. And so that's why I think maybe Veronica Roth didn't know that that was what happened when she was writing this first book. And I think, of course, at the time the third book came out, what fans were outraged about was was that Triss died. And the the third book, by the way, is from a shared point of view of Triss and Four, so that after Triss dies, Four can pick up the rest of the book, um, which is fine. But, so for me reading, I did read all of these, and I never was a deep fan, but I was like, oh, this is kind of weird, kind of interesting, and I like that it's in Chicago, and, and I am a teen librarian, so I'm just going to keep reading these. And so when the third one came out, I feel like I was sort of neutral enough on these books. I was like, well, I don't honestly really care that much that Triss died. I'm not, like, wounded by this character death, and uh, I'm I'm interested in this new crinkle and world building. But I think people who slogged through the first two books, who didn't think the first two books were a slog and were like, yes, I love Triss, I love this world, like, they felt really betrayed, I think, both by Triss's death and this sort of reveal that their society made no sense. And so, it just, it didn't work for anyone, Except slightly for me, I guess, is what I'm, what I'm telling you. But I mean, like, like you were saying, like that's why this has just been such a like a blip ultimately versus like a really lasting YA like classic. Yeah, because I mean, there's certainly people who have quarrels with the ending of the Hunger Games. Yeah, but the Hunger Games and no- nothing that happened in Mockingjay felt like oh, this completely subverts what happened in the first book this is you could see where you got there even if you're like well um you could see how you ended up there and with the third one it did feel like i mean again i could see like this is clearly setting up tris as someone who doesn't think she's self-sacrificing enough and who that is a value and you could see where that ends up being a a moment of kind of growth or something for her to make this ultimate sack self-sacrificing move i again i'm less bothered by her death than i am about 
the wildness of this Chicago <laughs> is an experiment site. And we're not telling you until the third book. Bye. Yeah, it's very, like, the world building feels, a lot of the book feels like it is pulled together from other books. Yeah. And I know that, like, people will say all the time, like, oh, like, this is just a Hunger Games knockoff, or this is just a Harry Potter knockoff, because they don't, because they, they don't understand that these are tropes that are used again and again, and those are the two popular properties that they know of. Like, I, I, a person who reads a lot of books, am aware that not every post-apocalyptic story yeah. is a Hunger Games knockoff, and that a lot of the elements in the Hunger Games are tropes that are used again and again. This very specifically feels like it is pulling tropes from these books. Yeah. I, get, I feel like it, it feels like Veronica Roth, again, like, you know, was learning about um, psychology, and she was like, oh, well, I, you know, stuff from like action movie things and also I like Harry Potter houses and just like took a bunch of stuff that she thought was cool and like tried to fit it all together into one book and was successful in some ways but like real not successful in others yeah like wrote a first draft and was like excellent job good job me <laughs> and then and, and publishers like oh Hunger Games is selling we need something else yeah. to get out there we'll take it right now yeah yeah, it was very, everything about it feels very sloppy with these, like, genuine moments of, like, cool stuff with the characters that get overshadowed by how fucking weird the rest of it is. Yeah. Like, there's a, a part where the Dauntless Born initiatives invite Tris to come with them to, like, zipline off of a building. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it, like, I genuinely found it delightful. Like, her yeah. delight in it and her joy in being accepted by this group of people who are members of Domless because she has so many, like, stresses and stuff with the transfer initiates, initiates like, this other group of people who I, are generally treating her the same way and she's having fun with this. And I think for that, like, I, I love that she's kind of an adrenaline junkie. And I think that scene was, like, this joyful experience which you don't get to see as much in a lot of, I feel like, especially like YA books in which the the main character gets to be kind of a badass hero. So it was fun to see her just like being excited about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it, like you said, I just, when I think of the book overall, I think of like how kind of shoddy the world building is and not of those like fun moments. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think, I think oh. that's the book. Yay. I'm not gonna like it. I kind of wanted you to react more to the fact that their society is an experience. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I I did make a face when you were telling it because I was very surprised, but also that's hard to get across in the audio medium. Yeah. Could you like what emoji was it? <laughs> it was the eyebrow raise emoji. Okay, I'll I'll make sure that that goes on the website. <laughs> okay. As a footnote. <laughs> Okay, yeah, let's move on to our dramatic readings, I guess, and just give you a full exposure to to the world of Divergent. All right, I'm going to do the first dramatic reading. It's very short, but it is absurd. And it was important to me that all of you listening understand how absurd it is. I pause by a window in the E-Wing and wait for the Dauntless to arrive. I do this every morning. At exactly 7.25... The Dauntless prove their bravery by jumping from a moving train. <laughs> My father calls the Dauntless Hellions. 
They are pierced, tattooed, and black-clothed. Their primary purpose is to guard the fence that surrounds our city. From what, I don't know. They should perplex me. I should wonder what courage, which is the virtue they most value, has to do with a metal ring through your nostril. Instead, my eyes cling to them wherever they go. The train whistle blares, the sound resonating in my chest. The light fixed to the front of the train clicks on and off as the train hurdles past the school, squealing on iron rails. And as the last few cars pass, a mass exodus of young men and women in dark clothing hurl themselves from the moving cars, some dropping and rolling, others stumbling a few steps before regaining their balance. One of the boys wraps his arm around a girl's shoulder, laughing. Watching them is a foolish practice. I turn from the window and press through the crowd to the faction history classroom. It's just so dumb. It's just so dumb. Every day they jump Every off a train. Day. Yeah, especially like, since I think only Amity are allowed to be doctors. Like, what? What? How do they even have enough people to be in Dauntless if you're all just jumping off trains every day? Yeah, that was another thing we didn't mention, is that of all the Dauntless initiatives, initiative, initiatives, whatever, um, only ten of them get to get jobs at the end. The rest of them are sent off to be factionless, which is another thing we didn't talk oh, about, yeah. which is there are people in the society who choose not to or are thrown out of their factions and they become factionless and it's like a fate worse than death. They, um, I mean, it's described that way, but like they still have jobs. They they do like but they they're have, janitors like, the- and bus drivers and stuff, which Trish is like, ew. But like those are jobs that people have. But then they like they're allowed to have some food, but like barely enough. Yeah, I feel oh, like yeah, because like, there's like a ration system in place. Yeah, they don't get a full ration the way. I, uh, yeah, I feel like it's a lot of like like societally introduced poverty shaming. Yeah. And it's interesting because she tries to to structure it as like, oh, like there's no money because we've gone past capitalism and it's just like everyone, all of needs, all needs are met based on this rationing system. But at the same time, she wants the a makeover scene where Tris gets like new clothes and like and tattoos. New- tattoos and things so then at the last minute she has to introduce this like oh like there's a point system and we can use it to buy clothes yeah it's like she's a video game character yeah (laughs) anyway yeah yeah so we're gonna move on to the choosing ceremony which gives you slightly more world building about what the factions are supposed to be although it is wild uh and for this, I will be Triss, and Annie will be Mercus, the leader of mm-hmm. Abnegation and the guy running this ceremony. Ooh. I was just going to say, a guy who runs Abnegation oh. and Shitty Dad was the yes, final Yes, abusive father. Yeah. Welcome to the choosing ceremony. Welcome to the day we honor the democratic philosophy of our ancestors, which tells us that every man has the right to choose his or his own way in this world. So that's some gendered stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or it occurs to me one of five predetermined ways. I squeeze Caleb's fingers as hard as he is squeezing mine. Our dependents are now 16. They stand on the precipice of adulthood 
and it is now up to them to decide what kind of people they will be. Marcus's voice is solemn and gives equal weight to each word. Decades ago, our ancestors realized that it is not political ideology, religious belief, race, or nationalism that is to blame for a warring world. Rather, they determined that it was the fault of human personality, of humankind's inclination toward evil in whatever form that is. They divided into factions that sought to eradicate those qualities they believed responsible for the world's disarray. My eyes shift to the bowls in the center of the room. What do I believe? I do not know. I do not know. I do not know. Those who blamed aggression formed amnity. The Amity exchange smiles. They are dressed comfortably in red or yellow. Every time I see them, they seem kind, loving, free. But joining them has never been an option for me. Those who blamed ignorance became the erudite. Rolling out, ruling out erudite was the only part of my choice that was easy. Those who blamed duplicity created candor. I have never liked candor. <laughs> Those who blamed selfishness made abnegation. I blame selfishness. I do. And those who blamed cowardice were the dauntless. But I am not selfless enough. Sixteen years of trying and I am not enough. My legs go numb like all the life has gone out of them. And I wonder how I will walk when my name is called. Working together, these five factions have lived in peace for many years each contributing to a different sector of society. Abnegation has fulfilled our need for selfless leaders in government. Candor has provided us with trustworthy and sound leaders in law. Erudite has supplied us with intelligent teachers and researchers. Amity has given us understanding counselors and caretakers. And Dauntless provides us with protection from threats both within and without. But the reach of each faction is not limited to these areas. We give one another far more than can be adequately summarized. In our factions, we find meaning. We find purpose. We find life. I think of the motto I read in my faction history textbook, Faction Before Blood. More than family, our factions are where we belong. Can that possibly be right? Marcus adds, Apart from them, we would not survive. The silence that follows his words is heavier than other silences. It is heavy with our worst fear, greater even than the fear of death, to be factionless. Therefore, this day marks a happy occasion. The day on which we receive our initiate, our new initiates, who will work with us toward a better society and a better world. Uh, by the way, one of the interviews I found with Veronica Roth when I was trying to find the one that I actually wanted, she said something like that at first she didn't realize she was writing a dystopia because she thought that those all sounded good. It's like, I was like girl! You're, you're very young. You're very young. It's fine. <laughs> uh, all right. And then our last dramatic reading is going to be um, this very sexy date that, Ooh. yeah, that... Triss and Four go on into Four's fear landscape. And Annie will be Triss and I'll be Four. Right. I get up and help him to his feet. What's next? It's... Something solid hits my spine. I slam into Four, my head hitting his collarbone. Walls appear on my left and my right. 
The space is so narrow that Four has to pull his arms into his chest to fit. A ceiling slams onto the walls around us with a crack, and Four hunches over, groaning. The room is just big enough to accommodate his size and no bigger. Confinement, I say. He makes a guttural noise. I tilt my head and pull, pull back enough to look at him. I can barely see his face. It's so dark, and the air is so close. Is The air is close. We share breaths. He grimaces like he's in pain. Hey, I say. It's okay. Here. I guide his arms around my body so he has more space. He clutches at my back and puts his face next to mine, still hunched over. His body is warm, but I only feel, I feel only his bones and the muscle that wraps around them. Nothing yields beneath me. My cheeks get hot. Can he tell that I'm still built like a child? This is the first time I'm happy I'm so small, I laugh. If I joke, maybe I can calm him down and distract myself. Mm-hmm. He says. His voice sounds strained. We can't break out of here, I say. It's easier to face your fear head on, right? I don't wait for a response. So what you need is to make the space smaller. Make it worse so it gets better, right? Yes. It is a tight, tense little word. Okay, we'll have to crouch then. Ready? I squeeze his waist to pull him down with me. I feel the hard line of his rib against my hand and hear the screech of one wood plank against another as the ceiling inches down with us. I realize that we won't fit with all this space between us, so I turn and curl into a ball, my spine against his chest. One of his knees is bent next to my head, and the other is curled beneath me, so I'm sitting on his ankle. We are a jumble of limbs. I feel a harsh breath against my ear. Ah, this is worse. This is definitely... Shh, I say. Arms around me. Obediently, he slips both arms around my waist. I smile at the wall. I am not enjoying this. I am not, not even a little bit now. The simulation measures your fear response, I say softly. I'm just repeating what he has told us, but reminding him might help him. So if you can calm your heartbeat down, it will move on to the next one. Remember? So try to forget that we're in here, that we're here. Yeah. I feel his lips move against my ear as he speaks, and heat courses through me. That easy, huh? You know, most boys would enjoy being trapped in close quarters with a girl. I roll my eyes. Not claustrophobic people, Tris. He sounds desperate now. Okay, okay. I set my hand on top of his and guide it to my chest, so it's right over my heart. Feel my heartbeat. Can you feel it? Yes. Feel how steady it is? It's fast. Yes, well, that has nothing to do with the box. I wince as soon as I'm done speaking. I just admitted to something. Hopefully he doesn't realize that. Every time you feel me breathe, you breathe. Focus on that. Okay. I breathe deeply and his chest rises and falls with mine. After a few seconds of this, I say calmly, why don't you tell me where this fear comes from? Maybe talking about it will help us somehow. I don't know how, but it sounds right. Um, okay. This one is from my fantastic childhood. Childhood punishments. The tiny closet upstairs. I press my lips together. I remember being punished. Sent to my room without dinner. Deprived of this or that. Firm scoldings. I was never shut in the closet. The cruelty smarts. My chest aches for him. I don't know what to say, so I try to keep it casual. My mother kept our winter clothes in our closet. I don't... 
I don't really want to talk about it anymore. Uh, and what a great date. Oh man. Uh, I also I I want to point out that in our notes, I don't think this phrase has been said aloud yet, but Annie referred to this as four shades of gray. Yeah. <laughs> not not that closet thing specifically, but other parts of their relationship, and that's yeah, extremely a, good. A little BDSM-y, but like very light. Yes. Um, so yeah, just like four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So and it, again, this is the kind of thing where I'm like, well, that is extremely dumb. But also, if you're like a a teen, like a young teen reading that, I don't know. Like it's sort of the ultimate. Oh, yeah. Like we're snowed in together in yeah. a fear <laughs> landscape, and we have to cuddle together <laughs> oh, so no. we won't be so scared anymore. <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah. only one bed in this fear landscape. <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly. See, and this is the kind of thing that Phantom could have had if, if she hadn't, like, wrecked her trilogy. Yeah, right? Uh, oh, well. Let's move on and play some Would You Rather. All right. Would you rather have knives thrown at your face or know that your bosses are watching your fear simulation sex fantasy? Hmm. I feel like like knives thrown at your face are temporary, but like knowing that your bosses have seen you have scary, sexy times is like forever. So I'm going to get some knives thrown at my face. Yeah, yeah I got to agree with that. I, I like my boss, but I don't. There are things that really no one needs to know except for me and my partner and yeah. people who I may want to gossip to afterwards. <laughs> and, my boss does not fall into that category, so yeah. bring on the knives. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and it was for throwing the knives, and we know he's extremely good at knife throwing, obviously, yeah. so she wasn't really in any real danger. Yeah. On the other hand, though, like, my old boss did follow me on Twitter, and I, if you follow me on Twitter, you know I will tweet whatever dumb thing enters my <laughs> mind, so I do feel like she didn't watch a video, but she probably knows more about me than... Like I meant for her to know. <laughs> so, what about your boss now? Oh no, no, you're right. My, about- don't say his name on the podcast. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I okay, so I don't tell stories about him on the podcast. I do have just like a very endearing dad type boss who. Oh, I can't even finish the sentence. <laughs> what I'm thinking about that. Edit, just edit that out. Edit out from where I said his name. Uh, well, okay. Yeah. So, so I, I don't think I've mentioned my boss, my current boss on the podcast much, but I do tell stories about him sometime to uh, Kate and other pals because he is just a really like endearing dad type fellow. And yes, you're right. Absolutely. I would rather be hit with a knife than have that boss do this. So, because it's because I follow your old boss on Twitter too, and she's cool. She's cool, and I'm sure that your current boss is also cool, but not in a we're Twitter friends no, way, no. in a boss way. No, yes. Whew. Okay, so scary. Ooh, I need <laughs> I need to get in my fear landscape to work that one out now. <laughs> okay, uh, how about would you rather eat hamburgers and cho- and chocolate cake, which is Dauntless's favorite food? With with the Dauntless at their cafeteria table, or eat at Steaks and Cakes, the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle the movie that only serves whole steaks and whole cakes. Um, this one's easy for me. 
chocolate cake is fine, but it's not my favorite cake. So I'd much rather go to Steaks and Cakes, which honestly sounds like a slightly more upscale version of the Dauntless Table. You get steak instead of hamburgers, and then your choice of cake flavor. Uh, So so yeah, sign me up for Steaks and Cakes. I feel pretty similar. Um, I like, and you also wouldn't have to eat hamburger and chocolate cake and then have to go like fight someone. You could just eat steaks and cakes and then go about your day. Yeah, you could just drive to the steaks and cake restaurant and park in the parking lot. You wouldn't have to jump off of a building and land in a net and then go (laughs) over a waterfall to get to their cafeteria or whatever. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I I will definitely see y'all at steaks and cakes where I will just eat a whole cake. Love it. Okay, now we're going to play a game that is a mashup of fucking, marrying, killing, which is, of course, the game we play in tribute to Bill O'Reilly's Killing People series. Um, But it's sort of a mashup of that, but also, like, you know, the sorting hat or whatever. And I will invite you to play fucking, marrying, killing, which is sort of the abstract concepts of the five factions whatever that means to you. And of course there will be two left over and you don't have to do anything to them. They can just sort of, they'll be factionless. Yes, exactly. Okay. I, I feel like I know what I would do. Okay. Go for it. And I would marry Amity who seemed chill, maybe too chill, but like I can work with that. Yeah. I'm going to fuck Dauntless because there's, there's something kind of sexy about Dauntless. We've gotten into Mm -hmm. that. And then I am killing Candor. Yeah. Um, who we didn't talk as much about Candor, but they are so blunt, like they're hurtfully honest, and there's just no need for that, you guys. Yeah. Let's kill them. And I, well, so abnegation I and erudite can just, you know, go go be factionless in my book. I one hundred percent agree with that. Cause Amity, they would just be chill. I think they have like again some real like low key um drugs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're they're chill all the time. Um, yeah, Dauntless seems like they'd be a real good time, but I don't want to hang out with them a lot. And I think, like you said, like Candor, it's just no one needs that kind of honesty. Although Erudite, they do seem kind of mansplainy. Oh, so right. I feel like it's it's a real toss up between those two. Um, but I think I think you're um, fucking marrying and killing is spot on. Thank you. I would change it slightly. I would still fucking Dauntless marrying Amity, but I would killing Erudite mm-hmm. um, just because, like, while Cantor, no, Cantor, honest all the time would probably grate, um, it is specifically, like, the mansplainy, we know better than yeah. you propaganda machine of Erudite, mm-hmm. which would drive me crazy. At least the Cantor people can't tell lies. That's true. Yeah. That's a good point. In this day and age. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, good game, everyone. Let's move on to Reader's Advisory, where we'll suggest some books uh, t- or movies or TV or whatnot to watch or read instead of or in addition to Divergent. Largely, I'm going to say instead of, as we've stated, yeah. and there's this is kind of a mess. And if you were interested, you probably read this like 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and I, um, I, we've done a lot. I'm going to recommend three books that really have nothing to do with this book. Yeah, because um. we, have, we have done other sort of dystopias. We've already given you 
you know, our read-alikes for, like, the selection would also be read-alikes mm. for this. By the way, the selection is like this in terms of, well, the dystopian world building and the way you've categorized your society makes no sense. But selection, weirdly, if somehow holds together better than this, even though it's <laughs> technically worse. I don't know. Just maybe read the selection if you like this. So, so three books that I have recently read or am in the middle of recently reading that... Uh, I enjoy that really don't have anything to do with this book, but I just think you should read uh, are Wilder Girls by Rory Power, which uh, Renata, you probably shouldn't read this one. I won't. Um, It is. There's a lot of body horror, but it is amazing. And uh, for a different book club, I uh, well, for a book club, I am reading The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms by M.K. Jemisin, which is very good to me, a person who doesn't generally like books with maps in the front. Mm. Um, so I would actually, if you're a map book person, would recommend that one. I uh, probably have already read it. It's pretty famous. Um, and then for my other book club, I just read a middle grade retelling of Midsummer Night's Dream called Midsummer's Mayhem by Rajani LaRocca. And it was so delightful. Aww. It was so good. I haven't read that one yet, but it looks so cute. Like it's so good. <laughs> so, so those those are three books I think you should read. Cool. Um, a couple things that again aren't the most related, but I was just thinking about Trissa's limited education and limited worldview, and I thought of a couple nonfiction books that I really liked, which are *The Glass mm. Castle* by Jeanette Walls and mm. *Educated* by Tara Westover. And these are both memoirs of women. So Jeanette Walls grew up sort of quasi-homeless, and Tara Westover grew up in this fundamentalist homeschool nightmare situation. And then eventually they managed, they both managed to kind of get to college and be like, oh my god, what? Like, that was messed up. And I, but more... Um, more profound than that, but that's basically the gist of both of those. And something about reading it this time around made me think of those books. Um, I also, so I mentioned before, a lot of my enjoyment of this was just like, oh, it's set in Chicago. And I've been to Chicago many times. So I would recommend you may read something else set in Chicago, mm-hmm. like The House on Mango Street by Sandra Cesaros. Oh, yeah. Yes. Or, um... There's the, what's the nonfiction one with the serial killer yeah, and the World's Fair? Yeah, The Devil Fair. in the White City. There you go. Yes. That one's very good. Um, I, yeah. Or just go to Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> go, see, go see The Bean. It's a good time. Go see The Bean. You know, did you see that defa- someone defaced it recently? <gasps> How, that, okay. So I feel like I love The Bean more than is appropriate. Um, I just think it's really fun. It's really fun. Yeah. So someone who defaced the bean should get like, you know, um, thrown off the the thing in Dauntless. Yes, exactly. I'm going to look at it because this is maybe at the beginning of the summer that it was defaced. And because, you know, it's if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say the bean, by the way, it's like a large, very shiny, reflective. It's called Cloudgate technically, but everyone calls it the bean because it looks like a bean. Anyway, I feel like it was going to be a big deal to clean it because the surface is so polished and so specialized that um, it was going to be a big deal to get this graffiti off of it. So I haven't followed up on that story. I'm not sure if they did it or what. Yeah, I will say one thing about the book that did make me, I mean, I've already mentioned several things that made me laugh, but um, 
they do call it the bean, which is what everyone calls it. But the artist who created it is um, Anish Kapoor. Yes. And he is, you might know him from internet fame of having created a the blackest black and then not letting any other artists using it use it. Oh, no. And his uh, feud with uh, Stuart Semple that resulted from that. And apparently he hates it when people call it the bean. <laughs> Which just makes me want to call it the bean more. And they do call it the bean in the book. <laughs> yes. At some point she does call it its proper name. But, oh, you know what? Um, It's fine. They cleaned it. It's fine. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the bean rose from the ashes. Yes. <laughs> Our reader's advisory for Divergent is the bean. <laughs> yes. That's actually all you need. <laughs> Um, Annie, you had some good suggestions, though. Do you yeah, want to like, share those? Um, so obviously, I mean, if people have read this or think that it sounds good, you probably already know about like The Giver and The Hunger Games and The Handmaid's Tale. Um, right now I'm reading the Broken Earth trilogy, so I'm real behind the times. But like, that's a dystopia that like makes a lot of sense. And N.K. Jemisin is amazing. And I think the thing I liked about this was, again, Tris is kind of an adrenaline junkie. So really what you want is to, like, see some, you know, kick-ass action movie ladies. Um, So watch Captain Marvel or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or Hannah or Mad Max Fury Road, which also has some really good world building um, in a dystopian landscape. And then watch American Ninja Warrior, because that's, (laughs) like, basically Dauntless training. But everybody's, like, really supportive of each other, and I like that a lot. Yeah, and there's, like, foam and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you fall into, like, a pool of water and are fine. You don't get, a, like, a knife in your eye. Yeah. All right. Well, that all sounds good. Um, If you'd like to see these suggestions, go to our website, worstbestsellers.com, and we'll have this whole list, including some others we didn't get a chance to talk about. Um, or go to, go to Google Flights and find your next flight to Chicago. Yeah. One of those. All right, let's move on to our candy pairing, where we will uh, suggest a candy to go along with this, so long as you are not abnegation. Uh, my candy pairing for this is a chocolate with a razor blade in it, because a real Dauntless would eat it anyway for the thrill. Yeah. Along those lines, mine is a chocolate that maybe you were really excited to eat in 2012, and then you put it in your desk drawer and forgot <laughs> about it, and then you just found it, and you're like, oh, this... <laughs> But now it doesn't taste so good. Uh, my candy pairing would be Pop Rocks and Coke because it sounds like badass and daring, but it's just ultimately it ruins both the Pop Rocks and the Coke. <laughs> so true. So true. All right. Now it's time for the Rock Paper Snicked, where we um, will try to improve this book. Um, Kate will add Dwayne the Rock Johnson to the book, and I'll add Wolverine to the book. And Annie can choose which most improves the book, or she can choose paper, which is leave the book as is. All right. If Dwayne the Rock Johnson were in this book, uh, he would be a dauntless leader, and he wouldn't agree with the erudite plan to turn everyone into murder zombies. So he'd go on a secret mission to stop the plan before it started and keep the other dauntless leaders from injecting the serum into the faction members. Mm. So most of the book would actually be just about his quest. Uh, and in the end, he'd succeed. So instead of going on a murder spree, all the dauntless people would just like party all night after their initiation results and everything would be fine. Um, if Wolverine were in this book, he'd be a legendary former Dauntless who was legend. I said legendary twice in this. God damn it! <laughs> I'm not. That's an how Ari- much of a legend he is. Uh, yeah, I'm not an erudite 
uh, but <laughs> Wolverine is extremely legendary. He would be, you know, renowned for his knife skills, but he would have just dropped out of Dauntless because he's not much of a team player, and also he realized this whole faction system is pretty whack. So now he's sort of a leader in the faction list because people respect him, but he also spends a lot of time just in a sadness cave, as he does. Uh, and this means he actually would not have that much to do in this book. You would have to wait until books two and three for the faction list to come into play. But then uh, he's going to do some really cool knife stuff, so just keep your eyes out for that. <laughs> um, I, I love both of these. Um, I As much as I want to see Wolverine like leading the faction list, I do feel like, like you said, like you'd have to wait for books two and three. Um, whereas The Rock, I can totally see as the Dauntless leader in this. And then he solves the problem right away. Um, so then he can have a really good cheat day with his, like, m- multiple chocolate cakes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Incredible. <laughs> so, yeah. I-, I want to see The Rock's cheat day in the Dauntless cafeteria <laughs> yeah. so bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I feel like we've got to start using our Patreon money to just commission people to draw these things. Like, yeah. could you just, could oh someone, artist, God. please draw us the rock, but he's sitting in a cafeteria that's under a waterfall or something, and he just has, like, seven chocolate cakes. I love it. <laughs> please. Uh, we'll look into that later. For now, what do we think the moral of the story is? I would say the moral of the story is if your society is divided into sections that include smart but can't murder and murder but not smart, perhaps rethink your strategy. Mm-hmm. Very true. Mm-hmm. Uh, minus if you don't let your kids eat cake or look at mirrors, they're gonna join a knife cult. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna stitch that on a sampler. <laughs> yeah, that is important parenting advice for you. We'll keep that in mind. <laughs> Um, mine is that BuzzFeed quizzes are not the foundation of a stable society. Mm, very true. So true. All right. Now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will weigh in on his with his thoughts on the book. Although he he's so worked up, he really already had some stuff to say earlier. But now, now it's really his time to shine. Let's see what he's got to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, we did forget to mention, Dorte, that um, a really uh, a straightforward way that you could have told the erudite were evil from the beginning is that they don't see the point in having pets. That is so true. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. We should have we should have thought to include that. That's why we have you here to to mm-hmm. pick up when we uh, make mistakes like that. Yeah, because I mean, honestly, what's illogical is denying yourself the the joy and educational opportunity is provided by having a cat such as yourself in a household. Mm-hmm. And the erudite leaders are fools for not realizing that. All right. Well, Duarte, thanks for joining. Um, sorry I spoiled book three for you. I really did think you already <laughs> read it, but it's fine. All right. Uh, do any humans have any closing thoughts? Uh, no. No. Yeah, I think I think compared to a lot of books that you guys have read, this one was not bad. Like, I I feel like I got out real lucky. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I feel like you know maybe people might enjoy this, um, but there are other better things out there. So yeah, this yeah. is definitely one where it's 
it's not super painful. There are some definitely whack elements regarding the suicide and things like that. Mostly it's just the world building is so sloppy. And my closing thought is really that I just want to time travel back to Veronica Roth in college and be like, rethink this, write your whole trilogy, get this get this all squared away, and then try to sell this book, and maybe we'll all be happier. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for joining us, Annie. Hey, thanks so much, you guys. This was awesome. Yeah. Um... If you would like to come uh, find us online, maybe tell us what faction you're in. We, as a podcast, are on Facebook at facebook.com slash worstbestsellers. We're on Twitter at worstbestseller with no S because uh, the S fell fell off a building and it didn't land in that <laughs> net and it's just gone. And I'm sorry, S. We miss you. Uh, we also have a Goodreads group that uh, you can access most easily by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on the Goodreads link. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, all the podcast places. If you do subscribe to us, please take a moment to rate and review. When you rate and review, it pushes us up a little bit on the charts and makes it easier for new listeners to find us. If you don't rate and review us, unfortunately, we will have to kick you out of the faction and you will be factionless and Mm -hmm. be forced to assault teenagers on the street to get apple slices. So Harsh. You can also subscribe to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Uh, Patreon, you can uh, pledge, pledge is the verb, a small monthly recurring donation that goes to do things like uh, pay for new equipment, which I'm going to have to do soon, and pay our editor, and all sorts of things like that. Uh, It also... Patreon members get all sorts of perks like a newsletter and access to uh, special discount merch, which is cheaper than the regular merch, which you can find by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on merch and find all sorts of designs about worst bestsellers that you can wear on your body. Or carry around a, a notebook form to keep all of your sex paperwork in. There you yes. go. So helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, if you would like to just just come talk to me on Twitter, uh, maybe get some Chicago tourism suggestions or whatnot, I'm mm-hmm. at Renata Snacks. And if you want to follow me on social media, I'm at 14 across. And Annie, where can people find you? Um, so pretty much on all social medias, I'm at Annie Cardi. Um, and I also have the podcast that I do with my husband. That's Crossover Appeal Podcast. Um. And yeah, you can find us if you Google Crossover Appeal Podcast. Oh, I meant to ask, I meant to put this in earlier, now we're out of time. Uh, when you when you have time to return to Crossover Appeal, like what would you want to cross Divergent over with? Oh, that's a really good question. Because uh, I think we certainly will at some point. I feel like uh, it would have to be something like Full House. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait. <laughs> so that's it that's what we're doing perfect all right maybe maybe we can have you guys on and that'll be the crossover we would love to uh all right in the meantime worst bestsellers will be back uh in two weeks with a new episode about what book we are not sure we're gonna wait and see what book falls off a moving train and we'll pick that up and read it Uh, and you'll find out about it uh, Annie, thanks again so much for joining us. Uh, please tell your baby we said hello. Oh, thank you guys. <laughs> All right, we will see you next time. Right. Bye. Bye. Bye.